Welcome back to Psyched for Peds, the child mental health podcast for pediatric clinicians, helping you help kids. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Falucco, child psychiatrist and mom. What does teen depression look like? How can you tell the difference between depression and normal sadness, teenage moodiness, grief, or even demoralization? To help answer these questions, we are honored and excited to have a repeat guest, Master Clinician Dr. John Walkup. And you may remember Dr. John Walkup from some of his earlier episodes on fearless families, as well as on treating anxiety with medication. But today he's coming back on the pod to talk to us about the cardinal features that help us distinguish clinical depression in teens. Dr. Walkup. In the times that we live in, teens are exposed to a myriad of stressors and adverse life circumstances that negatively affect their mood. So when we have a teenager in our office with low mood in the context of multiple life stressors, we have to be considering that this could be normal demoralization rather than depression. Tell us about how you think about demoralization. For example... A kid who lives in adverse life circumstances could actually come to clinical attention at age 15 because they live in a tough neighborhood. They live with a single parent who doesn't make a lot of money. They go to a school where the educational environment isn't great and they got a 120 IQ and they've always wanted to be able to go to college, but they just realize their school's not prepping them for that. And they come to treatment pretty unhappy because they're just not dealing very well with this. They're a little bit more cranky and irritable. Demoralization is a kind of a chronic sadness that doesn't go away, very difficult to treat because it really requires an environmental change. And people can cope with it better or worse, but it's very difficult. If you can't change a person's life circumstances, they're going to be pretty unhappy. So when you see this 15-year-old kid in your office and you hear about what they're going through, you're saying we should be considering that this could be an appropriate reaction to stress that is distinct and different from depression. And you would call that demoralization. And we would treat demoralization with therapy, definitely not meds, with the idea that therapy could help them cope with some of the stressors, chronic stressors in their lives, or try to figure out what actions they could take to improve aspects of their situation. So demoralization definitely different than depression. What clinical pearls can you share with pediatricians about how to differentiate depression from demoralization? Yeah. So the first thing is there has to be a relatively distinct change in mood. And if you talk to teenagers and really listen to them, they'll say, I've been sad. It's not sad. This is different than that. And so my interview follows that. Have you ever had a terrible loss in your life? Yes. Is it like that or not like that? Oh, no, it's different than that. Okay, can you describe it? Is it sad? And many kids will say, no, it's not sad. As a matter of fact, the only thing that really bothers me is I can't think anymore. I used to feel smart. Now I feel really dumb. My mind's just not working like it used to work. When people are clinically depressed, their minds don't work like it used to work. So two key clinical features of depression are a distinct change in mood, different from sadness. And the second feature of clinical depression is cognitive slowing or problems thinking, feeling like your mind is not working the way it typically works. 
as far as mood, you're asking the teenagers themselves, does this feel like the times when you get sad or when you've experienced loss or does it feel different? And then the second question about your thoughts, have you noticed any change in your ability to think or your ability to concentrate? And I know from the kids I take care of, I had this straight A student actually, like you described, who developed depression. And without me asking her, she says, this is just really weird. I'm in school and it's, I can't even pay attention. And she'd never had problems with this before. And it was around the time of where we thought that her episode began. What else would you want to ask a teen to distinguish clinical depression? I say, tell me about something that you could do right now that would be a lot of fun. And, and the kids who are demoralized will say, oh man, if I could just go someplace where I didn't hear the gunshots at night and I could go to school and feel safe where I didn't have to get wanded by the cops when I came in, man, that would be great for me. I'd really enjoy that kind of a school environment. The clinically depressed kids will say stuff like, don't ask me to think about anything that's fun because right now I know you're trying to make me feel better by asking me to think about stuff that will make me, I can't feel better. And as a matter of fact, now I'm disappointing you and I feel guilty because I can't tell you that something would be fun for me. So please don't ask me those kinds of questions because I can't feel fun. Then tell me about something you did fun within the past couple of weeks that you really enjoyed. And if they go back and they say, we went and ate pizza with my friends. How fun was that? Tell me about how fun it was to have pizza with your friends. They can't summon it. You don't get that brightness coming out. The other thing is, and again, this is me, but I can walk a waiting room and identify the ones who are depressed because they carry it in their facial muscles. And there's a certain amount of anti-gravity in your facial muscles when you have normal mood. So anybody who's seen you in person know that you have normal mood because your facial muscles are right there, right? Except for the forehead, which which has been paralyzed by Botox. (laughs) Edit that. I can see it in people's facial expressions. They lose some of the tone of those kind of normal mood muscles and they droop. And it's not skin saggy stuff. It's really got to do with the underlying musculature. And I can see it across the room. And I think it's got a quality to it that's different than sad. People with sad can bounce. They still have those facial muscles working. This is a great clinical pearl about how to assess kids for anhedonia. You're saying, ask them to tell you about something fun that they did. And the kids with depression will have trouble coming up with the brightness and the kind of positive excitement when talking about fun things. Or as you put it, these kids don't have that bounce where they can step away from their sadness for a moment and even experience joy thinking about something fun that they did. So to recap, we talked about kids with clinical depression experience a distinct mood that's different than sadness, and they have difficulty having fun and some slowed thinking. What other signs are you looking for to distinguish true depression in teens? For me, the sleep thing is the waking up exhausted. I also spend a fair amount of time uh, pursuing diurnal variation. Those kids who used to be morning kids and who are now evening kids, they've lost their energy in the morning. So I ask kids, I say, if you have a lot of work, do you want to do that when you wake up first thing in the morning or late in the day? I used to be an early morning person, but I can't do that now. My best functioning is in the evening. And even then it's not great. That's that diurnal pattern. That's Mm -hmm. kind of part of melancholia. 
Great. Now I'm thinking of our pediatric colleagues who are thinking like, I don't have time in a 20 minute visit or a 10 minute visit to sift and sort, but you're giving them the key pieces and the pearls. The things that you keep bringing up are mood, diurnal variation, where your mood is worse in the morning. You wake up feeling awful and you don't feel refreshed. You still feel exhausted the way you think and the way you sleep. But depressed kids phase shift. So if your mood is best in the evening, what happens is you push the evening longer have more energy in the evening. They do their homework. They cope as best they can, but then they wake up exhausted because they don't have good quality of sleep. So Mm -hmm. there is some kind of something between kids who have fully phase shift. It's not just the fact that they have video games in their room all night long. There may be actually some mood contribution to that. So mood worse in the morning, they'd wake up feeling not refreshed. They have trouble thinking or concentrating or making decisions that's new and that is time related to the other symptoms. And then if they're able to describe more about their mood and they have a higher EQ, what they could tell you is that this feels distinctly different than other times that they've experienced a loss or other times they've been sad. Is that about right? I think so. I think so. It's that it's the core symptoms of low mood plus inability to experience pleasure. That's the anhedonia piece. And I hang my hat on that. We do see some carb craving that comes with some of this. So some kids actually gain weight as opposed to lose weight. Depression's got to be pretty severe for people to lose weight. So there's other things that kind of come into the pattern. But once you understand that you're looking for a pattern as a clinician, you're building your capacity to recognize the pattern. You're open to the idea of pattern that you're sorting between normal human sadness, demoralization, and this clinical entity. And once you get that, then all of a sudden the world will reveal itself to you and you'll be able to make these differentiations. The other thing is I think about it being seasonal for most of the kids I see. So it starts in in October around Halloween and goes to April. So I think about seasonal patterns. So we typically see worsening of mood and onset of depressive episodes around the late fall, early winter for our teenagers, October to April in the Northern Hemisphere. Before we wrap up, I just want to do an overview and recap of the things we talked about. When a pediatric clinician is trying to distinguish whether someone has true depression or whether it's some normal response to stress, loss, or chronic stressors, the cardinal features and things that you want to look for are a distinct change in mood that's different than regular sadness. And typically, we'll see that diurnal variation where their mood and energy are worse in the morning than in the evening. And remember the clinical pearl that you shared where you ask the teenager, you say, can you tell me about something fun that you've done? And you see how they respond. And you really look to see that bounce in their mood, in their facial expressions. And if you don't see that, that's more concerning for depression. Also, it'd be important to ask kids whether they notice that they're having any problems thinking or making decisions or concentrating. And I know you and I have previously talked about how sometimes kids will misinterpret this as possible ADHD. And so when you have a teenager presenting to your office complaining of problems, concentrating, always be thinking about depression. What would your take-home message be for pediatricians? one take-home thing that you want them to think about when they're evaluating kids for depression? Yeah, I think what you're going to pick up on the PHQ-9 is you're going to pick up any combination of normal human sadness, demoralization, and clinical depression. And once you have a high score there, it's up to you to begin to do the sort. Uh, What I love about pediatricians is many times they're treating kids that they know. 
And if they're all doing what I recommend them do, which is to get that family history at the first well baby visit, they know whether there's a family history of depression. So starting at age 13, 14, and 15, they're looking for that seasonal slump. They're looking for complaints from the parents about sleep. They're looking for he's grumpy and irritable. And that's so different than what he used to be the sweetest kid in the world. And instead of saying, say, oh, my God, you got a positive family history. This is when this stuff starts happening. Let me spend a little bit more time digging a little deep. You can do what I just described in a 15 minute session. As long as you have that longitudinal relationship, you should know what's coming and you should be knowing what to look for. And you should be knowing how to sift and sort after listening to this about normal human sadness, demoralization and clinical depression, which are three different low mood states in kids. Excellent. Thank you. And very practical clinical pearls too, about how to sift and sort and how to do that in a short period of time to make sure that we're diagnosing the right thing. This was so great. So awesome talking to you. Of course, of course. I love doing this. We never talk about this stuff anywhere, really. But this is the best stuff. And this is the stuff people want to know. And these are the questions I get asked a a million times. And sometimes I have good answers. And I think you have a much better answer than I do. So this is great. (laughs) I got a few more gray hairs than you do. So watch, been watching it for a long time. And fighting the fight, fighting the fight for kids. Because this whole idea of dimensionalizing unhappiness has really not served kids, just not served kids, my, my opinion. To our listeners, thanks for listening in, tuning into Psyched for Peds. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue the conversation with Dr. Walkup and talk specifically about treatment for depression using medication. And what do you do when somebody doesn't respond to their first trial of an SSRI? Check out our website, Psyched the number four Peds, or follow us on Instagram and message us if you have any questions. See you next week. 